0: Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy.
1: And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash Locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today.
0: Warning. Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
1: Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor.
0: I'm Olivia Cornu.
1: Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get into it, Olivia, as always, wonderful to see you. How has your week been?
0: My week's been pretty busy. I've had a couple appointments. Hurt my knee doing some marathon training, so I was getting that checked out. But kind of bummed it's only Wednesday. How are you?
1: I am right there with you. I'm definitely feeling the Wednesday drag. I was really excited that, we got to come in and record tonight and it kind of made my day a little bit better because I had something to look forward to. So super happy to be here. I am definitely surprised that you said you hurt your knee because I was halfway expecting you to be like, I blew up my bicep getting ready for a powerlifting competition. So glad it's just your knee. Hopefully it starts feeling better soon.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of biceps, I've been watching Killer Sally on Netflix. Have you seen that?
1: Oh my God. I just finished it yesterday. I can't believe we haven't talked about it before now.
0: It's intense.
1: She is an intimidating woman. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it yet. I would definitely recommend watching. It's only three parts. But she is a bodybuilder named Sally McNeil who killed her husband, Ray McNeil, in like 95, I think it was.
0: Yeah, the whole documentary is very 90s. Oh. Down to the recorded tapes. Oh, the home videos when they're at Disney? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. You should definitely watch it, but she is a woman that watching that documentary, I was like, I would not want to piss her off because she would snap me in two.
0: Oh, heck yeah.
1: And I'm 5'10, let's just say in the 200s. I don't want (laughs) to put anything out there, give anybody any fodder, but I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. Whatever you need, ma'am. Let me get out of your way. Excuse me. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, yeah,
0: right. But clear the whole aisle. Here she comes. Yeah. Anyways, so off topic, but how was your week?
1: It's been good. It's been good. And like I said, just happy to be here. I'm happy to hear about this case that you've brought this week. Last week was my week. We learned all about some boxcar killings. A lot of the feedback that I have heard from the episode was like 500 bodies found along railroad tracks like a year and it's like no big deal. So sounds like a lot of listeners, a lot of people who checked out the show felt the same way that we did. But I am super excited coming in this week. And what do you got for us?
0: This week we're gonna talk about a murder that took place in Minnesota.
1: Ooh, Minnesota. I am super excited about this. I've actually been to the Twin Cities. Uh, one of my very best friends for my whole life. Shout out Jay McGlone. He lives in Minnesota. I've been out there to visit him. It's a beautiful city as long as you don't go in the winter. He texted me the other day and was like, Yeah, it's like 20 degrees here. And it was like 70 here in Tennessee. So I was like, all right, man, we'll come visit during the winter because this is the place to be. But haven't been there. I'm super excited to, to hear about it.
0: I've actually been to the Twin Cities. I've been to Minneapolis. And then I had friends who lived in Rochester, Minnesota, which is where the Mayo Clinic was. And I actually went there in the wintertime. And it is freezing cold. But it was so cool to go through all, like, the tunnels. Because I went to explore and see the Mayo Clinic. Um, and everything's, like, underground. So you walk from, like, this building underground. So it's pretty neat.
1: Yeah, they have a lot of skyways, too, which is really cool. There are like walkways, if you've never been, there are like walkways in the air that connect buildings because it gets so cold there that it gives people a chance to like travel around the blocks and stuff without having to be outside. And another really interesting fact, there used to be a school of music there, McNally Smith School of Music. They've since closed, but the Twin Cities has an amazing music scene. Like some of the best musicians I've ever seen, I've seen you know just going to visit in Minnesota. Prince. Prince's drummer, Michael Bland, I saw him play live
0: prince and, is from Minas- minneapolis yeah pretty it, certain right
1: yeah. yeah 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 so we went like a little bar and his band was playing it was really really cool a lot of really good musicians out there so you wouldn't think with it being so cold and being so far north you're like oh pop in music city but it's it's really cool
0: oh that's awesome i didn't know that yeah. fun fact for the day
1: well let's get into it i'm excited to hear about this murder in minnesota
0: In a Minnesota high-rise known as Horn Towers, a neighbor called maintenance to let them know there was water leaking from the ceiling of their 20th floor apartment. When management went to evaluate the 21st floor, they found water in the hallway coming from an apartment rented out by Arthur Gray. When they had to enter the home, they were startled to find water and a significant amount of blood. Continuing to investigate, they found the shower running and a body of a deceased woman. The woman was only wearing a pair of socks. Multiple stab wounds to the abdomen, one large cut exposing the intestines, and stabs to the chest, back, arms, and hands were identified.
1: That sounds like an overkill to me. I mean, if you're cut so deep that like your intestines are showing, it's like something out of like Scream or something like that. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. The autopsy would later reveal that a number of wounds were inflicted post-mortem. So even more gruesome.
1: Yeah, like they killed this woman and then were just like, I'm going to keep going. That's nuts.
0: Now the investigation begins. Who is Arthur Gray? Gray was the tenant of the apartment of now a major crime scene. Arthur's alibi was that he was out of town at the time of the murder, and DNA analysis later ruled him out. The victim was Jeannie Childs, a 35-year-old sex worker who was dating Arthur Gray at the time she was murdered. They next looked at her pimp as his DNA was found on her body, but later ruled out as well. Jeannie used her apartment for meetings with customers as she felt safer than in unknown locations. They tried to locate several men that neighbors had described, but no leads. Detectives called numbers found in her Rolodex, but realized that most of them were attached to false names. Not much became of the murder of Jeannie Childs, and the case went cold.
1: So hold up. You said that they went through her Rolodex, and I don't think we established, but what year did this case take place? Because if you say like 2012, I think I'm going to be like, who's using a Rolodex in 2012?
0: 1993.
1: Okay, 1993, that makes more sense. A lot of people had Rolodexes in 1993. But I was like, I was like, I wonder what year this is. And then you said Rolodex. And I was like, well, I can tell you what year it is not.
0: Right, right. And I think for those who don't know, our, my fellow millennials and the next generation, what's the next generation?
1: Uh, Gen Z. Gen Z.
0: A Rolodex is what sits on an office desk with little flags of paper. And you roll through it, and you have your phone numbers there.
1: Yeah, it was like an address book on a wheel, essentially. Yeah.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. So for like the three millennial <laughs> or <laughs> Gen Z that are listening.
0: You, John, <laughs> are technically a millennial.
1: I am. I'm on the back end.
0: Tell that to my sister because she refuses to believe she's one.
1: Yeah. We're the last generation with landlines and like AOL dial-up. Yeah. We are millennials. Anyway, not to derail the, the case, but I was just like rolodex huh i'm now i'm curious
0: yeah and i didn't mention the date in the beginning but i talk about it um when we go through everything okay awesome the dna samples obtained from the crime scene that did not belong to childs were tested at both state and private labs but still had no leads so let's flash to 2018 again the case reopened hoping to use genetic genealogy to find Jeannie child's killer and put the case to rest Like the Golden State killer who committed his crimes between 1974 and 1986, authorities ran the unknown DNA sample from the crime scene through a private DNA company and a possible suspect was found.
1: Yeah, and I know that Golden State case pretty well. There was a documentary that I watched. It was on HBO. It was a docu-series called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And if you don't know, he would get couples, like he'd break into a house and he would tie up like the husband and the wife. And then he would bring the wife into the other room and he would put like a dinner plate and a coffee cup, like on the husband's back and be like, if you make any noise while I'm sexually assaulting your wife and I hear those rattle, I will kill her and then I'll kill you. So oh
0: my gosh.
1: Yeah, it was really, really dark. And it was actually Patton Oswald is a famous comedian. His wife was the one who kind of broke the case open in the two thousands. So it's a really crazy story. If you have HBO, I would definitely watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark because it is like a riveting story. And unfortunately, she passed away. But, you know, a lot of people think it was because of the stress of like trying to find out who this person was. It's it's kind of oh, crazy.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: But yeah, they got him with 23 and me. Years later, the guy was like, yeah, let me do a 23 me." And they ran his DNA through and like, guess what? We know you're a serial killer. Yeah,
0: and like I wouldn't think, and as I was doing the research, like obviously we're talking about how they ran it through private DNA companies. So that's like 23andMe, Ancestry, you know, those things. And I've done one of them. So like my DNA is out there, which some people would be very much against. But we all did it for Christmas one year. So we had two incidences in my family. We found one with Ancestry and one with 23andMe. Um, So that's it's actually really cool to figure out like, who people are. But at the same time, like if I committed a crime, I don't think the first thing I'd be doing is sending my spit in the mail to run my DNA.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because my mom is adopted. So my sister is currently in the process of like going through 23andMe and reaching out to people being like, hey, I think we're related, you know, just to know, you know what I mean? It's interesting to be like, I wonder who I'm related to. But Yeah, I'm wondering if, you know, the Golden State Killer, if he was just like, they haven't caught me after this long, they probably don't have, like, DNA wasn't a thing when I was doing this, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if there was any DNA, it's been so many years, it's probably degraded, doesn't exist anymore. He probably thought, you know, he got away with it for that long. And he was just uh, sentenced, I think. His trial began during COVID, I believe. So, I mean, this was, you know, another cold case that got put to rest, you know, years and years later. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, so for anybody willing or thinking of committing a crime, don't send your DNA to 23 Me. Or do. <laughs> so we can talk about you later.
1: Yeah. So you can Just be kidding. the next contestant on Murder Court. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love Murder Court. Blood was splattered all throughout the apartment with a significant amount in the bathroom as well as bloody footprints. Semen was found on a comforter and on a blue towel in the bathroom. Crime scene investigators also collected a washcloth that was found on the toilet seat, a red shirt, and a scraping of a bloodstain that they found in the sink. The new trend of sending our DNA samples to trace our family ancestry has led us to an unsolved case for more than two decades. Genealogists told investigators that there was a fabulous match. A person matching the unknown DNA sample from the 1993 murder of Jeannie Childs had uploaded their DNA to a private company themselves. Jerry Arnold Westrom
1: What are the odds? You know what I mean? Like the Golden State Killer case, it was crazy because you're like, oh, like that happened. Like that's just insane that it would happen that that one time, you know, or what luck. And then to find out that like, oh, no, this has happened more than once. Like I'd be interested to know how often cold cases are being solved because of this.
0: Yeah, it's just so crazy. I mean, if that's just the last thing you think you'd want to do, but maybe people don't really understand how DNA actually works.
1: Or they don't think that like the police are going to run through, you know, 23andMe or Ancestry or something like that because it is a private company, you know?
0: That's true, yeah. yeah. I don't think I I don't think I knew that when I sent in my DNA sample.
1: And that's why there's a warrant out for your arrest.
0: For murder court.
1: <laughs> murder court.
0: So Jerry Westrom was in his mid-50s, married to Elizabeth Ann Westrom, and was a father of three. He was described as a businessman, a church volunteer, involved in the youth sports, especially his children's sports activities. He was a graduate of Elbow Lake High School and studied agricultural business and economics at the University of Minnesota. He owned and operated organic corn farms across Minnesota. He also operated gas stations where people who knew him there described him as creepy. According to investigators, the friendly businessman had had a few run-ins with the law for speeding tickets and multiple driving under the influence for which he spent six months in jail for the first offense. Two additional DWI jail time, and in 2004 spent 90 days in jail for possession of a weapon. However, in 2015, he was arrested in a sex trafficking sting. Reports say that he spent 20 days in jail and two years of probation. In 1993, Westrom would have been in his mid-20s and lived in the Twin Cities from April 91 to December 1993. Perfect timing to commit the June 13, 1993 murder of Jeannie Childs.
1: Yeah, especially since he left... Shortly after I mean that's six months Mm -hmm. to the day almost that he leaves so that's really interesting It also sounds like he's got a problem with the uh with the alcohol
0: seems that way
1: Yeah, so i'm definitely wondering if that might you know be playing a part into what we think is going on here
0: In 2019 investigators began the hunt to obtain a dna sample from jerry westrom They placed surveillance on westrom following him to a collegiate hockey game in the suburbs of milwaukee DNA was obtained from a napkin he was seen wiping his mouth with. The DNA sample matched the unknown DNA from the shirt, washcloth, and comforter collected back in 1993 at the crime scene. He was arrested in February of 2019. During his interrogation, he denies living in the Twin Cities and claims to have never been to the Horn Towers apartment complex. Another DNA sample was collected by police and again a match. This recent sample matched the DNA found from a sperm cell, from the comforter, and from the blue towel. He was booked and charged with one count of second-degree murder with intent, not premeditated. Bail was set for $1 million. He was released on bond and court began just this summer in August 2022. All the evidence was presented to the jury, such as all the locations that Westrom's DNA was found in Child's apartment, and detailed pictures of the crime scene. Prosecution also discussed the bloody footprints found in her apartment. An expert witness testified and reported that footprints are just like our fingerprints. The jury deliberated for less than two hours before giving a unanimous guilty verdict. During sentencing, Judge Juan Hoyo said, It seems like you have led a very positive life for the last 29 years. Your wife and family have been here. You clearly have a lot of support. However, you took Jeannie Child's opportunity of a life. She was not able to be with her family, to provide her love to her family, and she was deprived of receiving that love. You took that away from her 29 years ago, and now the law demands you face your state's most serious consequences. Jerry Arnold Westrom was sentenced to life in prison for the 1993 murder of Jeannie Childs. Childs' mother, who's still alive, gave a statement saying, I've waited so many years to have this end. And it's put my life through so much hell and I just really feel I'll never forget and love her the way that I always did. Child's sister also was mentioned stating that her heart was broken for the Westrom's family, his wife and children, and that this was a tragedy for everyone involved and there are no winners.
1: That is crazy. You know, it's just crazy to think that somebody could commit a crime like that and then they go on to have a wife and a family and then when the truth finally comes out, not only now have you destroyed the life of the, the person that you've murdered, like you've taken that life from them, but now this life that you've built with your wife and your children, that life gets ripped away from them as well. So it's like you're victimizing the person that you murdered and then inadvertently victimizing you know people that you're supposed to care about. It's, it's really crazy.
0: Yeah. And I thought this case was cool, one, because it just went to court this summer and then too, just that how popular these DNA testing kits are and just that, you know, he was just living this normal life and that he thought he was going to get away with this crime and, you know, no harm, no foul. I'll just check my DNA and go through my genealogy and probably never even crossed his mind, I guess, that he would get caught this way.
1: Yeah. And again, I don't know if it's just because, you know, people don't think that the police would use these or if it's like a private company or you know, they're not going to sell my data or share my data with somebody, but like if you're looking for a killer, especially the way that these services and technology is kind of blown up, I mean, I'm sure to test DNA 10 years ago, it was probably way more expensive than it is now. You know what I mean? We can just do these kits at home and mail it in, mm-hmm. but I feel like this kind of falls in line with last week's case where it's just more interesting, I think, than it is scary or like it's sticking with me, but I'm like, oh man, like that's crazy. I feel like I kind of learned something. So I don't know if we want to jump into the deadbolt test and kind of talk about where we fall, but I'm more than happy to start. I think this is going to probably fall about a four for me, which I know is kind of low. It's not really a crime that I'm worried about happening to me. It doesn't really hit my demographic, right? I'm not visiting prostitutes. I am not a prostitute myself. I don't think I really have to worry about it, but on the interesting factor with the DNA tests and with the police being able to locate them that way, I probably put it a seven or eight as far as interesting, but I don't think this one's going to affect the way that I sleep tonight. I think the one detail that really got me is when we opened it up and we we're talking about like being able to see your intestines, like the overkill, I would have yeah. liked to know a little bit more about what drove that. But but other than that, this one didn't really get under my skin too much. But but how about you? Where's this fallen on your depot test?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of the same. And I think as I wrote this story and went through the information, I focused more on how he got caught because it was interesting to me, not so much of all the details of how gruesome it was. I would give it about a three. Um, It wasn't scary. It's not going to happen to me. I'm not a sex worker. But again, I did focus on how it was solved. And I think that that was more interesting to me than all the gory details that we usually sit through.
1: Well, I think our listeners will be plenty interested so that is where we fall on the deadbolt test for this week's episode. I am giving Westrum a 4. Olivia's coming in at a strong 3, but we want to know where does Jerry Westrum fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on the socials. You can find us on Instagram at check the locks pod, Twitter at check the locks, or you can join our Facebook group. You can do all three if you want. Follow us everywhere. But please join the Facebook group. It is so much fun. Everybody's in there posting and having fun, sharing their ratings, things like that. So come hang out with us. We're in there hanging out, interacting every day. Olivia, after hearing about intestines and entrails, I think it may be a good time for a five-star review. What do you think?
0: I love five-star review time.
1: Me too. What do you got for us this week?
0: So this week comes from KFG1985. I like to think of myself as sort of a true crime podcast junkie because I've got a rotation of about five that I work through on a regular basis. I have to say, after recently discovering Check the Locks, it has quickly become my new favorite and most anticipated weekly listen. Olivia and John aren't trying to be comedians, getting giddy about murder, or doing heavy self-promotion like some others I've listened to. And they're also not covering some cases that everyone else is. These two glorious humans get straight to the facts and cover cases I've never heard of while lacing in their personal anecdotes or connections to cases and even include stories and call-ins from their listeners. Their research is thorough and they always keep it interesting. I like that at the end of every episode they try to do the deadbolt test to see where the crime ranks on their scary meter. This podcast offers a fresh take on true crime and one that we can all feel connected to and on a human level. Thanks, Olivia and John. Please keep up the good work. That was so kind, KFG1985. Thank you for leaving us a five-star review.
1: Yeah, thank you, KFG. We really appreciate it. And, you know, there's a lot of true crime podcasts out there. I you know I listen to a lot of it myself. Olivia, I know you do as well. So to know that we've kind of gone to your number one with a bullet spot—that's absolutely awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time. And we would love to send you some swag, not to push the self promotion, but if you want to reach out to us, you can find <laughs> us on Instagram, check the locks pod, Twitter at check the locks, or if you're in our Facebook group, let us know. If you are not a social person, that's totally fine. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. Hit that email button. Let us know what you. We'd be more than happy to send you some stuff out. We got stickers, buttons, pins, all sorts of stuff. Olivia, if someone wants to have their five-star review right on the podcast, what's the best way to do that?
0: Hop on over to the Apple Podcast app. Go to our show page. Scroll all the way down to the bottom where you see all five stars. Click all five and leave us a review. Tell us what you think, what you like, what you don't like. We'd love to hear from our listeners.
1: Yes, please make sure you're leaving that review. And if you already have, thank you so much. I know we talk about it every single week, but these reviews help us get into other shows' recommendations, helps us to grow our audience, to grow our community, to grow our family, and that's ultimately what we want to do, right? We just want to get out in front of as many people as we can. So if you have left us a review from the bottom of our heart, thank you so much. If you have not left us a review, do what Olivia said, hit up that Apple podcast, leave us that review. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of not self-promoting, we have a Patreon. So if you would like to financially support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash check the locks. We have a bunch of different tiers with a lot of great stuff in it. You get stickers, you get a mug, t-shirts, whole bunch of different ways that you can support. And if you can't support the show financially, listen, we definitely understand. Just listening to the show is more than enough. It means the world to us. So if you like what you're hearing and you just want to share it with your friends, your family, that helps out just as much if not more so thank you for supporting us in any way that you can that is it that is this week's episode please make sure you are joining us on wednesday for our true crime for the short on time we will see you again next week with a brand new truly terrifying true crime case but until then don't forget to
0: check the locks
1: we'll see you next week